Hello, welcome to Full Circle with Garland. I'm a leader in the DEI space and have spent 20 years of my career in human resources. I've been having meaningful conversations about career development with my friends and colleagues, many of whom are rarely heard on stages and podcasts. I am excited to bring you their stories each week. I will be sharing how their diverse backgrounds have shaped their work, the lessons in their career highs and lows, and the importance of recognizing the full circle moments in life. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this week's interview. Welcome to Full Circle with Garland. Today's special guest is Lydia Monroy. Uh, She and I met, man, many moons ago at a bachelorette party, no less. And we had such a good time. She's a friend of a mutual friend that we have. Um, shout out to Janine via Senor Edwards. Um, she is a wonderful woman who I think her story is going to be unique opportunity to see how you can again design a life that matters to you. Um, a woman who you know realized real estate's the way and decided to kind of pursue her own path. So I'm excited to have her on today. Welcome to Full Circle, Lydia. Thank you, Garland. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I know that we talked a lot about, you know, how you ended up in real estate and it wasn't something you thought about at all. So I know you come from a military family. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what that upbringing was like and how it shaped you? Sure. Yes, it, it was a wonderful upbringing. My dad was in the army, so we moved around quite a bit, a little bit when we were younger. I was born in Texas, in El Paso, moved to Germany, and then ended up being in Fort Ord in Monterey, California, for luckily seven years, actually. So I was somewhat stationary for a military family for a period of time. But if you know anyone who grew up on an army base or a military base, they're usually pretty outgoing uh, because people are constantly moving every three years. Every time school starts, there's new kids coming in. And it was just very diverse, I would say, because you had people from all over the country and even all over the world. You know, so my friends were every shade of the rainbow. I had best friends from Guam and the Philippines and Samoa Islands. And, you know, it was just a wonderful place to grow up. Everyone's very patriotic, loved our country. And it was also very safe. And I just, it was just a great, a great time. I remember when I look back on it, it was very fun. I think that enabled me to also work hard because, you know, people in the military are, it's based on a meritocracy. You know, it's not based on who your dad is, right? Every, you know, your parents, are, you know, they're all in the military and they get promoted based on performance. So I remember growing up and not really even thinking about what people's dads did or mothers did because they were in the military and I really wasn't conscious of that. And if, by growing up in that area, I didn't really have many friends of friends who were in business or in uh, real estate, for that matter. So it was like the world was my oyster when I was growing up. You could be anything that you wanted to be. And I also, I'm the youngest. I have two older brothers. So one's eight years older than me and one's four years older than me. So growing up as the youngest with two older brothers, I think I naturally became pretty competitive. (laughs) I always wanted to compete with them. And play like they did or be like them. So I uh, have to thank my older brother for actually never, you know, treating me like a girl or his sister. He, he was tough. He never let me win at a game or anything. So when I, I mean, I still remember the day when I beat him at a, like a board game. It was just like such victory, right? <laughs> because uh, it was well-earned. But yeah, that was kind of my childhood was being on a military base with this very great, great, environment, I would say. Yeah. So then you decided to pursue an undergraduate degree at Yale. And I know when people hear Yale, they think, oh my gosh, this place, <laughs> super, you know, intellectuals, people who are very, you know, very smart. What was, what made you decide to pick that school? One. And two, what was it like when you went there coming from your, you know, kind of military base where everyone's just a little bit of everything and you, you don't really have maybe that same pressure, or maybe there isn't 
or maybe it's pressure you put on yourself more so than others? Well, I have to say I didn't go straight from the military base to Yale. My father did retire, and we ended up moving to Louisiana because he was a helicopter pilot, and we found a job opportunity flying helicopters in Louisiana. So I moved there in seventh grade, and um, Louisiana was very different uh, from growing up on a military base. So first school I went to was very much uh, black and white, actually. Yeah. And in the terms of like actually her colors, you know, there weren't any Latinos. We're very few Asians. I think I had one of the Latino friend, and it was a culture shock. It was a time when I remember kids had to choose what group you hung out with, the black kids or the white kids. And I'm like, why can't we just all play together? It was very, it was very odd to have coming from a military base. And then we ended up moving to another place, and the school that I went to was much different than the previous school. And in high school, and I was very focused on getting to college and working hard and having great grades and doing all the necessary things. And I always had a sense that I wanted to be in business. When I was a younger kid, I would, you know, do all the things that everyone did. You know, the lemonade stands. I would buy, when Costco first opened, we went to the Costco or it was Sam's Club and I bought things in bulk and then I sold them to the kids at school for a profit. Um, so I always had that interest. And initially, though, when I was in high school, I thought I was going to, go to one of the academies, uh, military academies. And the funny thing is um, I wanted to be a pilot like my, my father, but I, uh, I stopped growing. You have to be a certain height. My vision went bad. <laughs> you have to have 20-20, and then I uh, tore my ACL. And so at that point I was thinking, I don't know about this. And my dad, he said, you know, there's other ways to serve your country than being in the, the military. And I was like, like it was like a light bulb went off. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. There are other ways. And he said, yeah, you could nonprofit work. You can work in business. You can employ people. You know, there's many different ways. And I was like, okay. At that point, it kind of gave me, you know, a little off the hook, I would say, and of being so focused on going to the military academies. And my brother, older brother, he went to Yale. He had applied, and he was going there. He's four years ahead of me. So he was a senior at Yale when I was a senior. Um, in high school. And so he, of course, encouraged me to apply. And so I applied to uh, Yale. I also applied to the Wharton School um, at Penn. And I got into both. And I was just so thrilled. And I thought I was going to go to Penn because, you know, of course, the Wharton School is known for being a premier business school uh, in the country. But however, when I went to visit both of the schools, I just fell in love with Yale. It was so diverse again. And it reminded me of my. Um, being back on a military base, people from all over the country and with lots of different interests. So it wasn't just singularly focused on business. People were, you know, of course, wanted to be doctors and lawyers and, you know, being scientists. And I just remember being intellectually stimulated like I had never been before and just had to go. And so I went, I went to Yale. And it was, um, it was challenging. I mean, it was a wonderful experience. But I would say looking back on it, it really helped uh, me to develop as an individual, thinking, you know, in a disciplinary way, which, you know, with a liberal arts education, that's one of the benefits of it. I had a scholarship. I also was doing work study, so I worked 20 hours a week. And balancing all that, you know, initially was challenging, where I didn't uh, know how to do that in the beginning, how to work study, and socialize. And so it took a couple years to, to figure that out. Um, but by the time I graduated, I was getting all A's. I worked 40 hours. I had actually three jobs. And I ended up working for a dot-com right around that time after I graduated. So it was, it was a great experience. You know, and I think when you go to a school like that, you have kids who you know, have gone to the elite top prep schools in the country, and they are well prepared when they get to college. So having come from public school education and, you know, a place where I think, I would say it was easy, I guess, high school was easy. And this, it wasn't easy. I mean, it was obviously hard for everyone, but it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't require the level of study and discipline that college did, especially at that level when you're competing against people who were taking already college level courses at their high school. And they were very rigorous, and so they learned those those study skills. 
but you know, I caught up quickly. I mean, it might've taken a year or two, but uh, definitely was able to um, keep up, I would say. Yeah. So you, I know then, you know, had worked in the nonprofit world for some time and then decided to go back to pursue an MBA. Um, and what was it about that MBA, I think, that kind of then changed your course to move into what you're doing now? Sure. So, yeah, after uh, college, I worked in real estate and then the nonprofit sector. I ended up actually fundraising for Yale. Um, they had a new team that they were bringing on to help cultivate their larger donors. And as part of that, I in that role, I went out and met successful business people in all walks of life, all throughout um, Massachusetts and Connecticut. That was my territory. And in that process, I met a lot of successful people. And the people in real estate actually were the ones who were really inspiring and encouraging. I met a couple of them who, you know, <laughs> I remember distinctly one saying, uh, stop asking for money and go make some money. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But a lot of them, yeah, it was like, but he was doing it to encourage me that not to like, you know, ridicule the job I was doing, but just to say, you know, you have everything it takes to go into business and to pursue, just pursue a career in that if that's what you want. And along that time also, I had been, I guess, just reading, I, you know, one of the books I read was, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, and kind of realizing the way, well, that real estate was a way to really build wealth and to have kind of control over your destiny. Uh, so I decided to apply to business school because I was doing a career switch. And one of the things when you want to get into real estate, it's kind of challenging because every real estate company wants to see that you have real estate experience. But how do you get that experience if, you know, you're not, you know, you don't, that's what they want and, you know, it's giving you an opportunity. Um, so I decided to go back to business school. I thought that would be the best way to do a career switch. Many people go to business school to completely switch directions. And so I applied to business school and um, that was my plan. And then while you're in business school, you get some internships, correct? You get some real estate specific internships. Well, <laughs> it was challenging, right? So, yeah, because I'll tell you. So when I got to business school, well, first off, when I applied to business school, I was um, told by advisors that you don't put that on your application because you have no real estate experience and they're not going to believe you if you want to go into real estate. So they said, well, actually, why don't you pursue or, or have you ever thought about private wealth management? Um, that has more of a, um, you know, a direct um, succession, I guess, from doing nonprofit raising. It makes sense in people's minds. And I actually said, oh, I hadn't ever really thought about that career. Um, yeah, I'm interested in that. I want to learn more about that. And so I actually started doing, you know, interviewing people and kind of learning about it. And I thought maybe this is something that I would want to do. So I did put that in my application. And the first quarter at UCLA, I did go down that path. I interviewed with a lot of the major banks. Um, on Wall Street for private wealth management. But quickly I realized, well, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> I want to actually go to real estate. And I was going to all these uh, networking events or different conferences, and I just was drawn to the real estate people. They were more authentic. They were, sometimes we call them cowboys, <laughs> you know, because they just talked off the cuff and they weren't so put together as the Wall Street people um, often appear to be. So I, quickly switched. Now I'm going to pursue real estate. And I kept running into the same challenge of, well, you don't have real estate experience um, to get into an acquisitions role. But luckily, I was um, a Twigo fellow. And I don't know if you're familiar with this organization. Are you? Yeah. Twigo's awesome. Yeah. Twigo Foundation, uh, their mission is to change the, uh, the face of finance. And they encourage and they promote and it's a fellowship program that you apply to, um, anyone going to business school. And they, uh, once you're accepted, it's, it's you know, competitive process. You have a training weekend um, or a training couple days and to, learn, to get exposed to all these different areas and in the finance industry. And 
And then they also have um, different opportunities to interview with companies. And I went to an interview at AIG Investments, or it was, it was kind of a showcase where they were showcasing their different groups. And I, of course, was interested in the real estate group, but I didn't have the qualifications to um, attain that internship. However, as part of that, there was a group called the Distressed Debt Group. And I was very fortunate because the hiring, the managing director that was hiring, she had a different background as well. She didn't have the traditional finance background. She was a lawyer who then transferred over to the business side. And she was actually looking for somebody who had a non-traditional background because they had, of course, all these people who had um, who worked investment bankers or who worked in finance or worked in real estate that were applying. And she, I ended up getting the position because of um, my ability to think creatively and differently. And she was looking for someone who wasn't just a number cruncher, somebody who could kind of think outside the box. So she really gave me my first opportunity to showcase that I had what it take or took to be in a, to be in finance. And that was in the summer of 2008. So I thought, you know, especially once the crash happened, I thought I was well positioned. We were in a, a team that focused on distressed mortgages. And, you know, I thought I was going to end up working there after I graduated. But of course, with the Great Recession and all the fallout from it, that internship didn't materialize into a full-time position. So <laughs> it was, uh, I had good timing in terms of graduation. I graduated in 2000 and then got laid off after the, the, the dot-com boom. And then I graduated in 2009 from business school. So that was also challenging. So you are primed to be an entrepreneur because <laughs> yes. when life gives you lemons, you go out there and make lemonades because, <laughs> I mean, great financial crisis, dot-com. I mean, everything is just kind of, rolling along in places that you're like, wait a minute, but you still were able, I'd say, to find the opportunity that you needed to find to get the skills that you needed to get. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your networking, because I think people sometimes underestimate that or maybe aren't realizing how much of that is a part of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very important to just share with others what you want to do and what you're up to and what your vision is because you never know who they might know. Um, whether they could help you directly or they have a friend or they know somebody. And people are always willing, I think, to help others, um, especially if they see someone who's driven or wants to uh, pursue a passion that they have and they want to give them the opportunity. So I think it's very important just to um, create that vision and talk with your friends, your, your alumni from whatever college you go to, your friends' friends. It doesn't have, I mean, even if you're not going, even if you didn't have a college degree, you know, it's just really networking, talking to people, going to events, interviewing them, asking them, you know, how they did this, how they did that, to find those next opportunities. And that's actually how I, after I graduated, I ended up Landing, landing. I mean, it graduated in 2009. There weren't any real estate opportunities, really, um, to, to be on the acquisition side. I think one person from our graduating class uh, had the job, and he had many years, got a job. He had many years of real estate experience. But um, so I was looking to kind of figure out what to do after 2009. I still wanted to be in real estate, and my advisors, people I had met, and friends said, well, Lydia, you know, this is kind of a time maybe and do some deals on your own and uh, you know you can get some experience and then when the market turns around you could then apply for you know a job at a private equity firm and you have shown that you have that experience and you can you know prove yourself in a sense <laughs> and so oh I was like great how am I going to do that uh, but one of my friends uh, from Twigo he was coming into town, and he was just happened to be there for a day. And he said, Lydia, would you like to go to lunch? And I said, I have a friend who, um, who runs a small brokerage company, a relatively small um, brokerage company in um, downtown LA, and he would love to join us. And I was like, oh, great. And he had uh, done investment banking with um, the guy back in, uh, when they were in uh, post-college. So we had lunch together. And it just so happened that he was looking for somebody to partner with because he had many family and friends that wanted to invest in apartments. And he was looking, but he was running his brokerage company. And so he wanted to partner with someone to do deals. 
So that just chance meeting, chance meeting ended up a partnership. So you just never know, you know, where your next uh, deal or your next job is going to come from. So just always say yes to opportunities, you know, who you're going to meet with and, you know, and make that time. That's amazing. You know, you know, I think it's a limited thing where there might just be there for a day. You know, I always do that. I always make that effort to see that friend or whoever. Because um, you don't know. You never know. Yeah. So you're coming out of this financial crisis. You've connected with someone through a chance meeting, but it all happens to come together. You're working for a kind of a smaller boutique firm. But what were the advantages for you of that opportunity? Because, you know, I think sometimes I tell this to, you know, students and just people all the time, like, I know everyone's trying to go to the big shops, trying to go to the big places, but there's something really special also about going to the smaller places because there's opportunities to learn and grow there. So can you talk about what some of those advantages were that you, you know, were able to get? Well, yeah. I mean, when you are working at a smaller firm, you have more opportunities to wear different hats. When you're at a large firm, you're siloed. You're you maybe an analyst and you're only number crunching. You're only um, underwriting. Maybe you don't get to go see the actual physical property. But when you're working um, at a smaller boutique place or on your own, you have to wear all the hats, right? You're doing, um, you know, so for that first opportunity, it was really, uh, you know, building that confidence, going out networking, working, talking to banks, working for REOs, um, then un- like learning the whole deal flow process, um, financing. It was, it was a great opportunity to really get my, uh, feet wet in real estate and to have a partner who, because of his experience in brokerage, you know, knew how transactions would run. And um, it, it was invaluable because what that enabled me to do was, just like my friends and advisors said, I was able to um, have my next opportunity, which really launched my career, I was working with for a smaller, also boutique private equity firm in Los Angeles. When I interviewed there, they were just so impressed. They couldn't believe that I had done three deals in one of the most challenging times uh, to do real estate, 2009, 2010. And they were, I remember they would say, We didn't know com- full bigger companies who did a single deal. And you did three deals in like Koreatown area of LA. And they, were just, they just were like, wanted to hire me on the spot. So that really gave you the opportunity to kind of go to the next level. And in that firm as well, since it was a boutique firm, uh, I was able to really understand the whole side of the business uh, from the investor relations, the um, property management side, the asset management side. Um, So not only just the deal side, finding the deal, underwriting it, um, doing the due diligence, financing, and, you know, that's what most people, when they're you know, in acquisitions, want to do all the acquisition side. But when you, knowing that you, if you know that you want to buy your own property one day and be your own owner, you want to learn all the other stuff too. Um, and working at a small firm, you get those opportunities that if you're at a larger firm, you could be in an analyst role your whole career, <laughs> you know, and eventually you know, work up to analyst to the director of acquisitions, but you might not get exposure to the fundraising side or the financing side or uh, property management and how once you buy that property, how do you actually execute your business plan and how do you work with a third-party management team to you know, towards get that goal? So I highly, you know, your listeners who are out there, yeah, I agree with you. Like, you know, it's you don't have to necessarily go with the you know those big big name top firms. Um, the smaller firms, I think, where you really get there experience. Yeah. So as a woman in commercial real estate, that I'm sure has been its own fun. Um, How do you balance, I guess we talk about all the time, like, you know, women have to ride this balance of being liked and being respected. Like you have to be, you know, somebody who they know knows their stuff, but at the same time, you know, you can't be too hard because, you know, that's apparently not what women are supposed to be is, you know, too assertive or too aggressive. Um, And so I'd love to hear how you have balanced this or just how you're just like, I, I'm just me and 
whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's just people respect you based on uh, your performance and your agreements that you have and really being a person of your word. You know, you say you're going to do something, you do it. And if you can't, you immediately let them know and give them, you know, you clean it up, you honor your word. So I think when you really get that respect from that performance and having agreements and focusing on measurable results, and you can be nice <laughs> while, you, while you do that. You don't have, to, they're not mutually exclusive. You don't have to be mean or put on, put, you know, as women feeling you have to have this power suit or, you know, speak in a certain way. Um, of course, you want to be confident, right? You want to know your numbers or know whatever your role is uh, and speak with confidence. And actually, that mentor that I had back at my first internship at, at business school, she told me that. She said, when you're in these boardrooms, you speak with confidence. And when you ask a question, and even if you don't fully know the answer, answer it with confidence, right? Even if you have some doubt, don't let that doubt seep out. Answer with what you know to be true. And that has really helped me as well. You know, you speak to, I speak directly with confidence. And, you know, I'm never trying to uh, be somebody I'm not uh, or, or put on some type of air of a, a power person, a power executive. And I think when you just treat people with respect, you're going to get respect back. And that's from not just the, the owner of the company or the CEO, but everyone, the whole gamut, everyone, even including... I mean, I remember making friends with all the, um, the cleaning people at the because I would work long off hours, and they would always be there at seven or eight o'clock cleaning. And I was always, I was of course, very respectful of them and the work that they did, and made friends with them. So it's everyone you interact with, showing that respect um, yourself, and just being direct, knowing your when you're in the business setting, being direct and confident, and you know, doing it with a smile. A lot gets. Uh, more things get done um, with a smile than with, uh, you know, yelling or being mean or, you know, I do find, I have experienced that in the past where people, you know, there are women who do believe or think that they have to act in that manner. And I don't think it's, it's true. I mean, in my experience working with many different uh, women and men, executives, it's, um, you know, they, everyone really cares about performance and teamwork and collaborating and to an ultimate goal. And you enjoy working with people that you like versus people who are, quote unquote, you know, the B word. <laughs> oh boy. Yes, I agree. Um, let's talk about you deciding to transition into entrepreneurship and starting Pearl Equity Partners. What was the motivation behind doing that? What, you know, kind of spurred you along to decide to go out there and now take all of these skills that you've you know, been able to acquire on the full, you know, cycle um, and decide, you know what, I'm ready to do this for myself. So I was at my former employer for I think six, six years. And, uh, you know, I was the second employee. And by the time I left, I was the managing director. We had a full team, I think over 12 employees. And I wore every cap. And, you know, I was getting to a place where I was thinking, well, what next? Um, you know, do I stay here? Do I go out on my own? And I had a couple different people approaching me to help uh, to partner with them to uh, head up their multifamily groups. And I ended up also getting married during that time period and then uh, getting pregnant. And really when I got pregnant, I decided... You know, I had I really wanted to think of how do I want my life to be. You know, everything things are going to change. Obviously, a lot of responsibility, um, and I said, well, this is the time. <laughs> I'm going to uh, start my own company. This would be a great time. I thought <laughs> to uh, have that flexibility uh, to be able to choose the hours that I worked, uh, when I worked, where I worked, with who I worked, and also really to be able to be there for my kids um, and see them grow up, uh, even if I you know, might have a, a nanny or some type of caregiver there, at least while I'm working in, the office, in my home office, I can come out for multiple breaks and not miss them walking or saying their first words or eating their first foods or anything of that nature. 
So I started thinking about moving on. And before I did that, I started investing on the side. So I started building my own passive income stream by investing in fourplexes and fiveplexes and whatnot. And that really what it gave me the security to start my own firm because all of my expenses were covered from this passive income that I was earning. So I could start this company and not be you know, afraid of where, you know, how I was going to pay the bills um, or you know, how we were going to make ends meet. You know, and that I didn't want to be in a position where I was maybe doing a deal just to like, you know, you know, stretching it so I could get fees and, or, or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying that other people do that, but that, you know, I didn't want to put myself in that place. Um, and investing on the side and starting to create that, that, own, that nest really gave me that stability and security uh, level so that I could go out and start uh, my own company. And it ended up my, my father-in-law, who has been in the real estate industry for 50 years, he had started his career in multifamily and transitioned into yeah. other asset classes like industrial and office. He wanted to get back into multifamily. And so he had been also asked, one of those people asking me, well, let's, let's partner, let's do it, um, let's start a company together. And so I decided to start a company with him, and that was Pearl Equity Partners. And <laughs> some people think I was crazy. Like, I, you know, of course you don't know what it's like to have a baby. Uh, and, you know, and they were saying, if we're going to birth something, let's right, birth everything, exactly. right? So I was having two babies. I was having my first child, and then I was birthing a new company. I uh, didn't know what that was going to be like, but it all worked out um, in the end. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was. I obviously would never not do it. And looking back, it was a great experience, but it, I would say it was challenging. <laughs> As a new mother. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I feel like sometimes those things happen to test you to see how bad you really want something. True. And then when you have to do it, you're like, okay, I really want this. Um, and then when it's done, it's done. It's yeah. like a, a season, a moment when it feels crazy. And then after that, you kind of look back like, how did I do that? Exactly. Um, <laughs> but you yes. did it. And that's all that matters. Yes. Um, so... You mentioned, of course, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Are there any other books that you have, you know, you said, I know you're a, you know, research, you know, you look up stuff, you're reading, like, what are the books or the, you know, resources that have influenced you or that you feel like were good foundational, you know, places to start? Well, I mean, I think you can pick up, in terms of real estate, you know, there's a just whole host of books out there that you can read and be inspired by. I mean, I think uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad has been so successful because it does inspire people, and, you know, he has a whole game, I think, that goes along with that. I don't know people who have played those games. Um, I haven't, but uh, I'm sure it would be very fun. Um, but also, like, personally, one of the books that really made an impact on me is the Marie Kondo book, you know, the the, you know, that joy, the joy of like uh, tidying up, uh, I know it has a full name, um, but the magic of tidying, yeah, something like that, yeah, the, it's called. the wonderful magic of uh, tidying up or something like that. And the reason why is because it really helped me to declutter and streamline my life um, in such a way that I could be, I could start my own firm and be mobile, you know, now it's, you know, COVID has hit and moms were working from home. And one of the things I wanted to do was my husband and I wanted to travel and to work remotely before COVID hit. We were planning to do that. So we actually spent, that was kind of the tipping point where we started going through all of our possessions and letting go. And, and then that was just a whole process that happened over a couple of years where I, I remember when we wanted to put everything into the cloud and digitize everything or a majority of our possessions and I went I probably shredded 10,000 documents things that you're hanging on to that you don't need or you know you just have there for whatever reason and scanned in important documents and that and just getting rid of a lot of material items that were just there and just cluttering it and what that really enabled me to do is just to have um, these be more beautiful spaces areas where there's empty space so that you can think and you don't realize how much 
possessions and unfinished matters and, and whatnot actually take up time in your head. <laughs> they, act, they weigh you down. You have no idea until you let, it, let them go. You know, that closet that's, you know, you can't even. That's got stuff. Yeah, coming out of like, it. or I don't know what's or in there. Or clothes that you're hanging on to for no reason. Like, well, one day I'm going to, you know, fit into that or whatever it might be. Um, you know, they just have a lot of weight. And once you get rid of that, you're just able to, for me at least, I was able to think more, think more creatively, have new ideas popping up. And that's how where I feel I am uh, today, really, just more ideas popping up and then just more space to live and enjoy and be present with uh, my family and my kids. Um, but that really had a, it was, had an impact on me. And so I, I highly recommend that book and for people to go down that path of uh, simplifying their lives and really having possessions, you know, that they love and that they spark joy when they see them and inspire them. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good unexpected read. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know people normally would probably read off all these other financial books, but. This is well, no, I mean, that's, <laughs> I think that's just what I, I mean, whatever has been influential. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. they're mindset books, sometimes they're yeah. inspirational books. Um, in the case of this, I mean, I think there's definitely, I mean, I, I do see that if you have to, if you're trying to streamline and create a more minimalist life so that you can be nomadic and travel around, you don't need to be traveling with a lot of stuff. Like you just, and then I know, you know, having kids, you feel like they come with their own stuff. Yes, they have a lot of stuff. And so (laughs) if you're trying to do this and do it with kids, it's tough. Um, so I mean, because you have been, I'd say, you know, you have, I know, been doing your kind of own life by design, integrating parenthood, running a business. What are some of the lessons that you've learned about yourself, um, through this process and what advice would you give someone who maybe wants to consider doing something like this? Well, I think I learned that, um, you can't do it alone. (laughs) Team is the most important thing creating your team um, with your partner, obviously, and any family members, or obviously just your support network, right? Whether it's your friends, whether it's caregivers, that you can't do it alone. That is the number one thing is I learned. You obviously can't do it alone. It requires a team uh, for your your company. Obviously, um, we hire consultants, you know, especially starting off. We didn't have resources to maybe hire full-time employees so we hire consultants to help us um, which has been fantastic and then you know in your life obviously having that team to help balance and to create that stability and to not be so hard on yourself and so I guess that's another lesson is don't be so hard on yourself just give yourself a credit pat yourself on the back hey you're doing all this you're doing a great job there's no right way to do it perfect the way it's happening and the way you're doing it and to really just uh yeah that's really a big one because you know as somebody who's always you know trying to achieve and be the best and go for it um you know you can often feel oh I'm not succeeding in one area so it's also balanced right so it's being committed to being the best you can be in in different areas and knowing that you're not necessarily going to be the best every day in all those areas and I you know I do section time out to be with the kids and just be present with them and and I'm there I'm with them and I'm being the best mom I am it can be and then and I'm working and being the best uh, business person I can be um, and it's not necessarily happening at the same time sometimes it does when you're taking calls and you have kids screaming in the background and it all works out and people are so especially because of the way the world has changed people are totally understand yeah and they're I think way more forgiving than maybe they might have been in the past uh, but because I think everyone's had that toddler walk in on them <laughs> during a, a yes. zoom call or whatnot but um but yeah so it's uh you know just that's what I've learned I guess having a team is the key and really just you know not being so hard on yourself giving yeah. yourself a break <laughs> that's good advice um so I know you're involved with quite a few alumni groups and other organizations that, um, you know, can you talk about, you know, what is, you know, when you're not 
doing all, I mean, you sound like you have a busy life as it is. The idea of having time to do anything volunteer or charitable sounds like a lot, but I know you do have, you know, some (laughs) other things that you're doing other than what, you know, kind of is in front of you. Um, So can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, one of my friends put it so well, because she said that you have either uh, time, treasure, or talent to give. And depending on where you are in your phase of life, you know, you might be giving one more of one or the other. And so before I had kids, I was giving a lot of my time um, to different alumni groups, you know, UCLA Anderson, whenever there was a networking opportunity, I was there, I judged, you know, what do you call it, um, case competitions, I did mentorship programs for other students, um, I was involved in the Reardon program, which is a program that um, helps people who are interested in business school, understanding what that's like, and uh, always gives a speaker at different panels, and um, now with kids and whatnot, I, I you know I kind of whenever I'm asked to participate, I I make time for it. So for example, I have a friend who is focused on uh, or really enabling and helping women uh, achieve uh, passive income and become millionaires through investing in real estate. So I have been involved in some of her conferences. Uh, she had a mastermind recently where I was a speaker speaking on real estate syndication, and that. You know, I really enjoy those opportunities to to give back, talk about my experience, give advice, and to 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 be involved. Because right now, it's you know that that time is limited, and I can see myself transitioning and doing a lot more in the future once my kids are at a you know they're right now pretty young. They're three and a half and one and a half, so once they get um, a little older, doing more. But um, yeah, I think it's important to continue to mentor and inspire and do what I can uh, to share what I've learned with others. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So we're going to start to wrap up. Um, I have two questions that I ask. One is a fill in the blank. Inclusion drives my work because? Inclusion drives my work because it is important. Um, you want me to expand, or do you... you can you can say as oh, okay. much as you want to say. You used to fill in the blank, so I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, because um, you know, just my whole when I look back on my life and my career, I never thought of myself as the underdog. You know, you're always trying to make it, you know, and you're, I didn't really look at it that way. But kind of looking back, I'm like, yeah, I was the underdog in a lot of scenarios, especially breaking into real estate or or whatnot. And so I am always looking for. Um, Diverse opinions, diverse ideas, including people who, especially, have non-traditional backgrounds. When I, whenever I've hired people, I seek them out. Um, you know, versus just going with the the standard investment banker, financial analyst kind of role. Um, because from my experience, I have found that you just get better results when you have diverse opinions, backgrounds, ideas, and that really drives what I do in terms of building my company, the people I work with, and also, um, you know, I've, I've invested in multifamily assets, and you know, we have a, a number of different types, and I really, one of the things I love about real estate and what I do is I love uh, turning these properties around that were mismanaged or disrepair and fixing them up and really providing a wonderful community for the residents and tenants and and the neighborhood. You know, we have a affordable property and it's just wonderful to see the community that's there where, you know, many people had challenging times over this past year and you know, weren't able to pay their rent and we've worked with them and the government assistance to keep them in their homes and to really um, it's just been such a wonderful community. Our manager has come up with so, so many great ideas that, you know, providing food from food banks and just other resources to all the people in need that we have a waiting list of people who want to live there um, because we include the residents in ideas. You know, we have a couple of residents who are on our, our little uh, management committee there. And that has made the biggest difference in that community, that the, including, including the residents, including the manager and their ideas, not just coming in and saying, this is how it should be done. What are What do you think? Um, and I'm 
we're really proud of that property and kind of what we've been able to achieve there and how we've been able to help many people in need during this time. The other side of multifamily, building communities, yep. making, making home mm-hmm. feel like home. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So last question, what does life look like coming full circle to you? Mm, that's a good question. I think uh, coming full circle, I think for me really, um, you know, I, when I, once again, looking back, I had so many great chances and opportunities, I would say. You know, people um, helping me and guiding me, giving me advice and um, helping me in my career. Just all these, I can think back and so many more I could go into that now, when now that I'm in a position uh, with experience and um, time and talent and treasure, I can give back to others, um, to help others. I hope this interview is inspiring to others so that, you know, they can uh, go out on their own or call me up. You know, I'm very open. You can find me on LinkedIn and whatnot to come full circle and give back uh, now that I'm in a position to do that, um, whether it's financially to nonprofits and organizations or my time or my talent. Um, yeah. I think that's really coming full circle for me. That's fantastic. So I will be putting all of Lydia's information in the show notes. Of course, you can find her on LinkedIn. She is. She's she's being so modest, you guys. I love it. Um, she's kind of a badass, but we're gonna we're gonna just you can find out her badassery <laughs> offline. Um, she's she's just and just very just kind, sweet, but seriously on her game when it comes to what she does. So please, you know, know that this is possible for you. Um, I mean, I, this is why I, I am having you on because you're not like you know, telling everybody you're awesome, but you are. And I want people to know that, you know, you can design a life like this for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's a pandemic, a great financial crisis, like stuff happens, you can still come back and make it and make it happen for yourself. So I just want to thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing. And I appreciate having you on. Thank you, Garland. I, I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope your listeners. Uh, find some inspiration in my story. And like I said, feel free if any of them want to reach out to me. I'm more than happy to connect. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a wonderful conversation with Lydia Monroy. Uh, She is, I think, one of the few people that you will meet who, um, you know, she sounds like she kind of figured it out as she went along. And I think she did. But Um, she's very goal oriented and really put her sights on what she wanted to do, um, and knew that, you know, if I want to create a life for myself, I have to kind of try to do it. So what I loved about what she said was while she was working, she was dabbling in multifamily. She started doing it on the side so that she could get very good at it and also just start you know, learning the ropes of what it takes to do it for herself. Um, And so when she was ready to finally um, jump into it full time, she had not only experience, but her expenses were covered by her passive income. And that I think if you, the earlier you learn that and the fact that she was able to figure that out and pick that up very early is huge. Um, if you can get passive income, and you'll hear this all the time, of course, if you you know read uh, the Purple Bible, as they call it, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he talks a lot about that. But um, passive income is basically money you don't have to work for. It's money that just shows up um, in the mailbox or mailbox money, I think is what uh, another gentleman I know from LinkedIn calls it. Um, and it literally is money that you have coming to you without you having to do any work. Um, And so she leveraged that in order to have um, time to be able to start a business. And so that's huge. And you can do this for anything, not just, you know, starting a business, but just passive income in general is a wonderful place to be. Uh, The second thing that she said was um, in order to be successful, you have to build a team around you. And whether that's for your family, you know, what you call your your village, your people, family, friends, you know, carpool, 
whatever you're involved with, you know, sitters, uh, nannies, whoever you need in order to continue to make your life easier um, so that you can function and feel like you are not drowning. Um, It takes a village. It takes a group of people. And then from a business standpoint, hiring consultants when it's not your area of expertise. Um, Why try to build a website yourself if you know nothing about building a website? You should get somebody who knows how to do that better than you. Um, And so that is super sound advice. Um, And then, of course, giving yourself grace and credit and being okay with not everything going perfect. I think oftentimes um, we are our worst critics. We are our biggest critics. And oftentimes it's not anywhere near as bad as we think it is, but we are so trying to do better and be better and achieve. And so that was really sound advice. Um, the three T's that she mentioned, which I'd heard before, but not in the same concept of the way she used it, but I love that she talked about it. Time, talent, and treasure. Um, and so when you think about what you're giving towards whether it's participating in boards, whether it's becoming a mentor, being a mentee, or just when you show up to work or anything, are you giving of your time, uh, meaning volunteering your hours and uh, you know days of service and community service days and things like that? Are you giving of talent, meaning expertise, areas of expertise that you have, things that you're very good at, your talents? Um, Or treasure, meaning you can write a check, you can provide a financial contribution, you can donate money, that might be easier for you to do. You might be able to do all three, you maybe only need to do one, whatever you're able to give. I think the idea of time, talent, and treasure that you talked about is huge. And so um, never forgetting that when you go out into the world, um, what you're able to give based upon, you know, what's available to you. So great episode with Lydia. So glad that we got an opportunity to connect with her. Um, And just, again, another solid episode of a woman who is creating a life uh, by leveraging her experience, her professional experience in real estate to create her own um, entrepreneurial endeavor to, um, you know, make home for families and and create a lifestyle that works for her. So I thought this was a great one. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend. You can find me on Instagram at Full Circle with Garland. And if you'd like to be a guest, go to garlandfuller.com. Thank you for listening and sharing your time with me. I hope this next week helps you to recognize the full circles in your own life. Bye-bye.